good evening and welcome to our service online. Uh, we're glad that you can join us. Uh, before we begin, I'd just like to remind you that after church this evening, uh, we will have our church coffee time. Uh, a link was sent on Thursday for that, and uh, we're going to begin at 10 past 7. But for now, we're going to begin our time of worship by turning our focus uh, onto our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, let's begin uh, doing that, first of all, with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads together. Our Father, we give you thanks that we can come uh, together in this way this evening, and we can turn our attention to you, and we can focus upon you, on who you are, and on all the glorious things that you have done for us. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. As we read of him in Matthew's Gospel, as in all the Gospels, as in all your word, we see how wonderful Jesus is, what a glorious Savior we have. And so I pray that for this hour we have together, that our focus would be on Jesus. Turn our attention to him. We want to learn of him, grow more like him, and show him to the world around us. We ask this in his name, for his glory. Amen. We're going to begin our time together by singing Crown Him with Many Crowns.
been singing about crowning Jesus, but there is often a great temptation to want to crown ourselves or to want to be seen as the best or to be at least applauded by everybody. And in our passage from Matthew's Gospel tonight, Jesus is going to speak about those who perform a hypocritical religious act that bigs themselves up. But this actually is familiar ground for Jesus to cover because you may remember him speaking of this kind of behavior in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you have a Bible, uh, please turn to Matthew chapter 6 and verses 1 to 18. In that passage, uh, Jesus is going to talk about doing uh, our deeds of righteousness in order to be seen by other people. Uh, hypocritical religious acts. So uh, Diana is going to read that for us, and then after she has read, Martin is going to lead us in prayer. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father, who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look sombre as hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Our Lord, God and Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your great love for us. We see your love for us, not only in your care for us, that we experience through all your blessings and the love of the people that surround us, but also by being straight with us, 
We know that you are true. Your word is always spot on. Jesus' words touch us because he knows how we are. You want us to be genuine, not fakers. You want us to be to speak the truth, not flattering others or belittling them just to look better ourselves. And Father, we often struggle with that. It's not just Donald Trump who portrays an inflated image of himself. We often want to look better than we are in reality. We like to talk about the big hypocrites, to look better despite our own moments of hypocrisy. Instead of being absorbed by your honor and glory, we are concerned with our own image at work, in school, in the neighborhood and at home. Father, we live in a world and a time where it is almost the norm to portray ourselves better than we are. We big ourselves up on social media. We are desperate to be liked as if it is not enough to be loved by you as much as we are. It is difficult, Father, to be entirely genuine in showing love to others without wanting to be loved by others in return. Father, give us a, a serving heart like Jesus, who laid down his heavenly glory to become a man acquainted with insults and being loathed by the influential people. Help us to look genuinely for the interest of others, rather than to seek to improve our own image. Father, through your Spirit, help us to become more like Jesus, who is the truth, who speaks the truth, and in whom there is no hint of selfishness. Help us to participate in his divine nature and emulate him in increasing measure in his faith, in goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection and love. Lord, you have given us countless examples of your saints who emulated Christ and were effective and productive in giving you glory through their conduct. And we thank you for them. Father, we pray that we are consumed by an urge to bring all the glory to you. Help us to do that, even when we celebrate the good deeds in our brothers and sisters. Father, we pray that as Steve opens your word to us tonight, that you open our hearts and let it be purified like gold by your refiner's fire, so that our desire is to be holy, set apart for you, ready to do your will. Amen. Well, as we come to uh, God's word this evening and the passage that Diana read to us, it can be easy to think that Jesus is speaking about religious leaders of his day, uh, religious people that show this kind of hypocrisy. But as Jesus speaks, we actually need to listen to how he speaks to us, how we can act in those kind of ways. And our next song is a prayer that God would speak to us through his word, that we would recognize these traits in us so that we can repent of our sin and be shaped more into the image of Christ. We're going to sing now, Speak, O Lord.
if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23, and this evening we're going to be in verses 1 to 12 of that chapter. Uh, we are in Matthew's gospel in the week leading up to the death of Jesus Christ. Now this is probably Wednesday, and so he's going to die in a couple of days. And we come to this chapter of Matthew's gospel off the back of a series of debates that Jesus has had with the religious leaders in the temple. Uh, in, in chapter 21, verse 23, uh, he, he enters into the temple. And whilst there, one religious group of leaders after another ask him different questions to trip him up and to try and undermine his authority. But as we've seen over the last number of weeks, Jesus wins every single one of these debates and astonishes people with his answers. And at the end of chapter 22, uh, we read this in verse 40. No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. People had nothing else uh, that they could say to Jesus. His enemies gave up the fight of trying to trip him up in his words. But Jesus, on the other hand, he has much more to say. And chapter 23 is a remarkable chapter where Jesus pronounces judgment on the religious leaders that he has just been debating. It's like he wins uh, the debate and then he pronounces the judgment. And over the next few weeks in chapter 23, we're going to see Jesus judging those religious leaders. Last week, we saw him declare that he is the Messiah who is the man who is God. And here is Jesus in the temple courts, the man who is God in the dwelling place of God, pronouncing judgment on those who have rejected their Messiah. However, whilst this is a judgment on the religious uh, leaders in Israel and the people of Israel who had rejected him in their day, there is a warning here for us too. Uh, just notice in verse 1 that it says that Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. So the disciples were those who were following Jesus and the crowds were potential followers or at least sympathetic listeners. So these words that Jesus speaks are for them, for, for, for the, the, the disciples and the crowds, they are also for the religious leaders who are in earshot, but these also are words for us today, his disciples today. Because the indictment that Jesus brings against the religious leaders here can be so easily fallen into by his people today, by us, by those claiming to be Christians. We must not take these words of Jesus and then say, oh, look at how awful those religious leaders were back in Jesus' day. But rather, we should look at these words and examine our own hearts for the same kind of attitudes that we might have. Well, let's do that as we begin this chapter. Jesus uh, offers us a contrast to begin with, uh, two ways that we can live our lives. And the contrast is that of hypocrisy versus humility. In verses 1 to 7, Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. 
And then in verses 8 to 12, Jesus exalts humility, humble servanthood. So let's see that contrast as we read Matthew 23, 1 to 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the places of honor at the banquets and the most important seats at the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is God's word. Well, as I've just uh, said before we read that passage, these verses could be broken up into two parts, where Jesus exposes hypocritical religion, which is a warning to us. And then he exalts humble servanthood, which is an exhortation to us to live in that kind of way. So first of all, Jesus exposes hypocritical religion. So the religious leader, uh, so the, the religion Jesus is exposing is that of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. These groups in particular are mentioned because they were the spiritual leaders of the Jewish people of the time. The teachers of the law taught how the law of God, including all the extra laws that they added, should be lived out, and the Pharisees followed those laws meticulously. And so these people were the ones who were looked up to for understanding of how to have relationship with God and how to live as God wants us to live. And the reason people looked up to them was because, as Jesus says in verse 2, they sit in Moses's seat. So there are uh, three kind of uses of this word seat that we would understand that helps understand what Jesus means. In one sense, there was a literal stone seat in the synagogue where an authoritative teacher, usually a teacher of the law, sat. And from that place, they would teach the law of Moses. So it was a, a literal seat. But another way of understanding this was that uh, we would say uh, someone sits in a chair of, for example, the chair of philosophy or the chair of mathematics at a university. That person would be the head of it. They would be in charge of that speciality and so they would demand respect. That's another way we would, we would use seat. But thirdly and finally, uh, a seat... Uh, it means to succeed someone. So uh, if I was the, the only pastor here and in 50 years time uh, I retired, 
Someone might come and we might say, well, they're going to sit in Steve's seat. Or we might say uh, that he's, he's stepping into Steve's shoes. You see, that's a, a way of describing the succession. And here, they're succeeding Moses. They're stepping into Moses' shoes, or as they say here, sitting in Moses' seat. So sitting in Moses' seat means that they sat in the physical place of teaching authority that succeeded Moses in interpreting and applying the law that Moses was given. And so in verse 3, because they sit in the seat of Moses, teaching the law of Moses, which is the word of God, Jesus says to the people, you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Now, we've got to qualify this a little bit. These religious leaders did add lots of law on top of what Moses was given. And they misinterpreted a lot of what Moses said. So in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, uh, Jesus says, you have heard it said, which is, this is what the religious leaders teach, but I say to you, which is saying, uh, this is what the actual interpretation of that law is. This is what God says. So to qualify, what Jesus is saying here is that as far as the teachers are teaching the law of Moses, you are to do what they say. Because Moses' law is God's word. Uh, just as another example of this, if, if a non-Christian comes to my house and they open up the Bible and they read the Bible, the fact that an unbeliever is reading that Bible does not make the word of God any less the word of God. And if they read this passage that we're reading tonight, and, uh, the, the, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm listening to what they're reading me as the word of God, and I'm challenged by it, it's right that I'm challenged. Because they're reading God's word. God's word doesn't change and become less God's word because an unbeliever is reading it. Now, I might question if they start to, to preach to me or they give some funny interpretation. But as far as they're reading God's word, I'm going to listen to what they say. So Jesus has no problem with Moses' seat. He doesn't have a problem with teaching the law of Moses. But he does have a major problem with the people who are sitting in that seat. His big problem was with their hypocrisy. Their hypocrisy was their, their claiming to have higher standards or more noble beliefs than they were prepared to really live out themselves. And Jesus highlights two ways in which the religious leaders are hypocrites in this way. And the first is in verse 3. They do not practice what they preach. So in verse 3, Jesus says, you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. So they said one thing, and they did another. They had high standards which they preached, but they didn't meet those standards themselves. Now, this is surprising because the Pharisees were so meticulous in their keeping of the law. But what they did was find workarounds and loopholes so that it looked like they were following the law meticulously, but really they, they were not. 
And not only that, they, as we've seen all throughout Matthew's gospel, completely miss the spirit of what the law is saying. Uh, As an example of this, we're going to see later in this chapter how they made oaths. They had all sorts of loopholes uh, and workarounds of getting out of an oath depending on what was sworn on. Uh, As another example, just um, bringing it to the the modern day, uh, as a nation, uh, don't we get so infuriated uh, over this last year when those who make the rules on the lockdown restrictions tell us how to live our lives, and then we find that they've not been doing it themselves. It makes us so mad because it's, it, it just smells of hypocrisy, doesn't it? And then it's made worse when they make excuses and loopholes about why they did it, and then it seems like the rules don't apply so much to them as they do to everybody else. That's what Jesus is, is talking about here with, the, with this hypocrisy. And instead of practicing what they preached in verse 4, we see that they just made life miserable for others. It says they they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. The religious leaders knew the loopholes and the workarounds. They were immersed in all of the rules and regulations. They were the experts, but... For the ordinary Israelite, they didn't know all of those loopholes and workarounds. It was, it was much harder for them. These laws were just a huge weight that made life more difficult and more miserable. The picture Jesus gives here is of almost someone with a backpack on, with more and more law bricks being thrown in the backpack, making it harder and harder for the people to, to move forward with God. And the religious leaders were supposed to help people move forward with God, help people know how to be in relationship with God. But instead, they didn't even lift a finger. We use that phrase ourselves, don't we? It comes from this passage, meaning they didn't help at all. They couldn't be bothered to do even the smallest thing. They just made life harder. That's not how relationship with God is supposed to be. And notice how different Jesus is in Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus gives rest to the weary and burdened. He doesn't throw more rocks in the backpack. He takes the rocks out and he gives a burden to us that we can manage, a burden that is made for us, that is good for us, a light burden. God's law does crush us if we think we can be saved by following it. But Jesus forgives our sins And he gives us the power to live a godly life. And with this power, God's commands become not a burden to us, but they are our freedom. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now remember, Jesus is speaking these words 
not just as an indictment to the religious leaders, but as a warning to us as well. He's telling us, don't be like this. And we must be people of integrity, mustn't we? People who practice what we say we believe in God's word. A few uh, ways of, of, of applying this. Uh, first of all, I would say be, beware of rules-based religion or church leaders that bully you by putting big burdens on your shoulders. That's not how church should be at all. That's not the way of Jesus Christ. And he's the leader who all church leaders should aspire to be like. It's not saying church leaders shouldn't challenge us when we are sinning and uh, encourage us to follow Jesus, but we should, church leaders should never bully people into doing what they want them to do. Run away from a church like that. Uh, secondly, don't just have a head knowledge of the Bible, but put the Bible's teaching into practice. Don't say, I believe this to be true, and then not be bothered about doing what it says. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, as James uh, tells us. And then thirdly, don't be a person who demands one thing, but does not do that which you demand of others. Now that applies to all of us in different ways, but just specifically, I think it applies uh, in a very apt way to parents and people in positions of leadership at work. Christians are warned here not to be hypocrites, and your children and your staff will remember when you have not done what you are asking them to do. Never use the phrase, which is the phrase of the hypocrite, do as I say, not as I do. That phrase is just totally wrong. Live out what you say you believe. So the first aspect of hypocrisy was that they did not practice what they preached. The second aspect is found in the first sentence of verse 5. Notice that there. Everything they do is done for people to see. They're just showmen. They want the applause of the crowd. Jesus has spoken of this behavior in the Sermon on the Mount. We had that read earlier on. Uh, and in chapter 6 and verse 1 of that sermon, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then Jesus goes on to give examples of how some people give arms as they blow their trumpets. Some people pray with babbling words. And some people fast whilst they look like zombies. All of it for show. And Jesus gives some specific examples of this kind of behavior by the teachers of the law and Pharisees. He explains here in chapter 23 what they do and what they love. What they do and what they love. So what they do is dress ostentatiously. So in verse 5, Jesus speaks of their phylacteries being wide. So phylacteries are small boxes that some Jewish people wear on their head and tie on their arms and hands. And the boxes contain uh, portions of the law of Moses. And the image you can see, hopefully, uh, shows this. Orthodox Jews still do this today in obedience 
to commands like this from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8. Uh, that, that verse speaks of God's commandments, and it says, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now, I take this command in Deuteronomy to be symbolic, uh, a bit like when Jesus says that it's better to cut off your limb rather than to sin. But many take it literally, and religious leaders certainly did in Jesus' day. They made their boxes really wide, bigger than everyone else's. Perhaps they contained more law than other people's box. Whatever it was, it was all for show. Look at how big the box is on my head. Look at how much uh, law I've got tied around me. Look at me. Do you see? And then at the end of verse 5, they made their tassels on their garments really long. To have tassels on their garments was commanded by God in Deuteronomy 22, verse 12, and in Numbers 15. And the point was that the tassels were to be visual reminders to the people of their allegiance to God. I guess you could say it's a bit like uh, if you wear a football kit, you're showing who your sporting allegiance is to. So the, the tassels told everybody, I'm a, I'm a follower of the God of Israel. But the religious leaders made their tassels extra long. So everyone could see them and be reminded of how, how great these people's allegiance is to the God of Israel and how well they must keep the law. Wow, look at how long their tassels are. They, they must be super holy. Do you see what they're doing? They are showing off outward expressions of grandeur that cry out, look at me, look at how great I am, look at how holy I am. This is self-focused egotism. So what they do is dress ostentatiously, but notice in verse 6 what they love. They love the places of honor at the banquets, and the most important seats in the synagogue. At a banquet, there was a, a hierarchy of where people sat. If you, if you, had a, if you imagine the, the, the long table, and at the head of the table, uh, and in the middle of the head of the table, were the most, was the most important person at the banquet. And the higher up towards uh, the, the, the most important person, usually uh, the host, the more important you were around that table, the more higher status you were. And the Pharisees loved to be high up towards the top of the table. And because of their status as of holy men, well, they were often on the upper end of that social scale, and they loved it. They loved being there because people could see, look how important we are. And in the synagogues, the most important seats were the ones facing the congregation, the teaching positions, the positions of the overseers. They loved it. They loved to sit there because the congregation could see them and could see how important they were in that community. Oh, how they loved to be seen in those seats. And then in verse 7, they loved their titles of respect. 
They loved to be called rabbi. They loved it when they walked down the marketplace with their big tassels and long phylacteries and people would, would doff their hats or bow down to them or whatever and say rabbi. And they loved it because, because it was, they, they were seen to be so special and so holy. And it's almost comical, isn't it? Unless it wasn't so tragic. And the tragedy is, as much as we may laugh at these big boxes on their heads, it's so easy for us to fall into this kind of thing, isn't it? To live our lives so that people can see us and praise us. We can, uh, when we have communion normally and the, the, the tables at the front of church, uh, we could love to sit on the the seat in the Lord's table facing the congregation so, so people can see us and, and hear us pray. We can pray or read the Bible or be videoed doing so in such a way that we're not really praying to God. But we're praying so that the people can tell us how lovely you pray or how, how, how holy you, you sound. And all that we've done is get people to, to pat us on the back and, and tell us how good we are. We can pray like that, can't we, and read our Bible like that? The same could even be said of helping people. It's kind of sick, really, but it's true, isn't it? That we can sometimes help people purely so that they can tell us how nice we are. Or other people can tell us how lovely we are and we can get pats on the back. Oh, aren't they lovely? How helpful they are. I find it sad when someone uh, has to announce their generous gift or... Uh, nice gesture on social media, just smacks of, of telling uh, people so that they can get likes or have more followers and get approval. Just, just do your good deed. You don't need to announce it to everybody. I would also uh, issue a warning here too of how today we should be wary as Christians of rock star Christian worship leaders and hip preachers. I'm not saying this because I'm definitely not a rock star, and I'm most definitely not hip. But there are worship leaders who just try and draw attention to themselves. They're not giving glory to God. They're not pointing people to Jesus, really. I would also say that to our own music team. We are blessed by you. Our church has more talented musicians and singers than most churches have. But be wary of performing. Be wary of, of performing an act rather than leading the congregation to worship God. Beware of the motives behind why you are there. On the other end of the scale, I, I would also be wary of, of high church pomposity and regalia. That just smacks of this kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. Does it match up to what Jesus is saying? When you've got to wear uh, special, you know, coloured robes and crowns and all sorts of things? I'm not sure. It's something to, to debate for sure, isn't it? But may God deliver us from this trap, which is so easy for all of us to fall into. Instead of this... Jesus points us to another way. Jesus exalts humble servanthood. Uh, Jesus draws out a contrast in verse 8. 
he says, but you. So unlike the Pharisees and teachers of the law. So verse 8 is the, the turning point in these verses. But you, first of all, are not to want the titles that they desire. So Jesus gives three titles. First of all, there is rabbi. Now this word can mean uh, teacher, but it's more than how we might call our teachers at school, miss or sir. This title actually can mean great one or honorable sir. And Jesus is saying here that we should not long for this title because we have one teacher or one who is the one deserving of this title. And we're going to see in verse 10 that that one is the Messiah. That one is God. Now, Jesus is not saying here that we, we shouldn't desire to teach, but rather we shouldn't desire to be called by a particular title, specifically that of rabbi. We should not desire it because it elevates us above others. And Jesus says that we're all brothers. We, we might have different roles, but none of us is better than another. We are all equal before God. The second title we should not desire is to be called father. Now, this does not um, mean uh, refer to someone's dad in the home. Um, I desire my children to call me dad, and that's right, because I'm proud to be their dad. But this rather refers to a title of one who is the giver of spiritual life, or the, the head of the household of faith. No person can be this. We have one father, one person who's given us spiritual life. That is our father in heaven, nobody else. And then finally, Jesus says we should not desire to be called instructor. Now, this is a bit like how we would use the word guru today, spiritual guru. Uh, we, we shouldn't desire to be a guru that gains a following. That's what he's, he's saying. Now, the only instructor, the only spiritual leader we should have in verse 10 is the Messiah. Now, we should not long for these titles or any others to make ourselves look good. And so it's worth asking, isn't it, what about titles such as pastor or reverend or even father? Well, we do need to be careful with what we are calling people. But I don't think it's wrong to distinguish an office. If someone came to our church, for example, and said, I would like to speak to the pastor, we wouldn't respond by saying, we don't use titles in our church. You have to speak to any of us because we're all brothers. Well, that, that would be stupid. Of course, uh, we wouldn't do that. We, we have elders in our church. They're called elders. And they're distinguished as elders. They're called aside as elders. So it's not wrong to distinguish roles in a church. But I do think that there are some titles within the, 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 the wider church as a whole that are a bit over the top. And never should we insist on being called a title. Like I shouldn't um, insist that people call me reverend um, because I feel like uh, I, I need to have that level of importance. That's, that's not right at all. But Jesus' point here is a little bit more even than just that. The point he's making, the bigger point, is we should not insist on titles because 
We should not want to big ourselves up. That's the point. We're not to want to big ourselves up. And that's the wider point of of this passage. The religious leaders at the time were self-focused, egotistical show-offs who were all about showing the world how great they were. Jesus says his followers are not to be like that at all. And if verses 9 to 10 could be summed up as, don't big yourselves up, verses 11 and 12 can be defined as, instead, give yourselves away. Don't big yourselves up, instead, give yourselves away. We see in these verses some familiar teaching from Jesus in this gospel. He says, the greatest among you will be your servant. Now, we've seen this before in chapter uh, 18, when Jesus said the greatest in his kingdom is like a little child. And we saw it again in chapter 20 after James and John's mother asked Jesus if her sons could sit at his right hand and left, positions of uh, power and authority in his kingdom. And Jesus repeats what he says in these verses in that chapter. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. So do you see the the contrast there with the Pharisees? They want to be great and think that they're going to achieve this with their expertise in the law, ostentatious dress, and fancy titles. Jesus says, no, you achieve greatness in serving others. And we serve others, or should serve others, humbly, quietly, and without fuss. Not with the purpose of exalting ourselves. Verse 12 says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. You know, God's going to bring down those who are these hypocritical religious types. They're going to be humbled when they bow before God and are judged. But those who humble themselves, Jesus says, will be exalted. So even in our service, we don't exalt ourselves. We don't make a song and a dance about it. We don't uh, post it everywhere and say, look at how wonderful we are in our service. We don't desire to exalt ourselves. We desire just to serve our king, serve others. And if we exalt anybody, we exalt Jesus. That's who we're called to glorify and lift on high. And as we humble ourselves, Jesus says here, we will be exalted. Now, I don't take this to mean, because it doesn't mean, that we can serve others in the hope that one day God's going to put us on a platform and tell everyone how great we are. Now, that's just another form of hypocrisy. Rather, Jesus is saying God is going to honor those who in humble obscurity just get on with serving Jesus. So let me issue you a challenge this week. Can you do an act of service for somebody and even do it secretly so they don't even know that you're doing it? Don't post it on social media. Don't announce it to everybody. Can you just do an act of service for somebody else, ultimately for Jesus, that is just humbly obscure. That causes people to look at Jesus 
and glorify him. Well, of course, if you want an example of, of humble servanthood, we, we look no further than Jesus, do we? He who came from the exalted place of heaven and humbled himself. Who came to serve, not to be served. Ultimately serving us by dying for us in our place on the cross. And where is he now? Well, after completing his humble service, he is exalted to the right hand of God the Father. And one day, and this is really the meaning of the end of verse 12, all those who humble him themselves before God under him will join our Lord Jesus and be with him and reign with him forever. That's, that's what we want, isn't it? To, to serve Jesus humbly and faithfully and then join him in serving him in glory forever. How much better is just humble servanthood than hypocritical religion? Let us be those who are humble servants. Well, our final song helps us to worship God and to serve in this way by reminding us of how Jesus did it himself. We're reminded of the life of Christ and his service with the song, with a prayer.
Go in peace to love and serve your King. Amen.